track. The only thing matters is a win. That's it. However, whatever, whatever it takes. Let's go, man. Let's win on three. One, two, three. Win. Live. 319. In the entertainment capital of the world. Vikings blitz. Manning got it off the rare deep throw. And maybe that's why they don't do it. Intercepted by Xavier Rhodes. It's the T.C. Martin Show. They're not used to this damn heat. They're over there trying to set up damn pits over there on the sideline. Hey, it's a ride. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Okay, well, I ain't going to worry about you no more. 300 yards, four touchdowns. <laughs> It's so sweet when you walk off the field knowing you gave everything you got. Team win tonight. The doctor is now in. How you like me now? 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 It is a thunderous Thursday edition of the TC Martin Show. Glad to have you with us wherever you may be. We've got a jam-packed show today, guest-driven show today, rocking it to you. Sportsbook side today, we're going to talk to Jay Cornegay, the VP over at the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate. Always fun with Jay. You know, Jay Cornegay is a huge Denver Broncos fan. I'm going to ask Jay, which is more of a mess right now from a fan base perspective? The Denver Broncos or the Las Vegas Raiders? Raiders. <laughs> I don't know, man. The Broncos are, they got a little turmoil there, too. I mean, Raiders get rid of a quarterback. The Broncos get rid of the coach. Uh, quarterback isn't much better. Probably worse than the Raiders' Derek Carr. All right, Jake Cornegay will join us. Scott Spritzer will join us next hour as we handicap the weekend action. we got some great, meaningful NFL football games, week 17, coming up on Sunday. Dallas Cowboys, Tennessee Titans tonight. What a line move that has taken. And then, of course, college football, meaningful bowl games. And as we know, the college football playoff semifinals, both games coming up on Saturday starting at 1 o'clock. Looking forward to that. One of my favorite days of the year to just get hunkered down and watch the two semifinal games and two very good games. We've been handicapping it, as you know, for the last couple weeks. We'll continue to dive into that and handicap uh, those games for you today with Jay Cornegay and Scott Sprites are also today on the program uh, this hour. We are uh, going to talk to Kevin Kruger. Actually, we'll talk to Kevin Kruger next hour, the head coach of UNLV. The Rebels lose their Mountain West Conference opener last night to San Jose State, a really bad loss, disappointing loss for the Rebels last night as they lose in overtime at San Jose State, 75-72. to So uh, Kevin Kruger will be joining us. And the quarterback, got to be careful when I say that, the quarterback, one of our quarterbacks, Steve Berline, will join us from uh, CBS Sports. And, of course, uh, our regular quarterback, him and Jay Schrader, you know, former teammates as well, too. And now teammates on our show. So you got to like that. So uh, Steve Berline will be joining us and we'll get his thoughts, not only uh, about the college football playoff and the NFL Week 17, but of course his thoughts regarding the Raiders and the benching of Derek Carr as we uh, continue to talk about that. Again, so just uh, picking up for where we left off yesterday with that, the Raiders benching Derek Carr, 
uh, feel free to go on the website and check out the latest there uh, with that at tcmartinshow.com. Uh, I can, uh, you know, read the article there on the homepage um, as well as all the other great stuff, including our stuff with Trevor Maddich from yesterday as well, too. Uh, Trevor Claus uh, previewing the college football uh, semifinal games and then also talking about his uh, Trevor Claus gifts to uh, the college football teams that uh, needed some help. So that's good stuff. That's the featured interview on the homepage as well, too. All right. So uh, back to the Raiders. Uh, benching Derek Carr. We talked about it uh, at length uh, yesterday. Uh, benching him for the final two games. And uh, Derek Carr is also away from the team. Now, we've got to remember, this was a mutual agreement um, between Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler, Mark Davis, and Derek Carr. Uh, and they all felt that it would just be best for Carr to be away from the team. So he will not be on the sidelines for this week's game against the 49ers at Leiden Stadium, or will he be at uh, the game next week against Kansas City because they do not want him to be a distraction. Uh, this is really because of the long-term relationship that he's had with this organization. Nine years as the quarterback of the Raiders, and this is an emotional time for him. And as you know, Derek Carr is an emotional guy. We saw him spill tears, get very emotional going back five weeks ago. You know, at the press conference, Raiders, you know, won three games in a row after that. And then uh, they succumbed and lose in the last, uh, you know, two here. But this is a guy that um, when you think about the Raiders franchise over the last decade, you think of Derek Carr as being the face of the franchise and being the leader. And uh, this is big news. And because he is, you know, a stalwart in this franchise, there might be something to maybe not having him around. But what this does signal is that it is clearly the end for Derek Carr as the Raiders. Now, Josh McDaniel would not say that yesterday. Would not say that. He came out and said, well, there is no finality in the decision to bench Derek Carr. We will address the issue with him as we will address so many other issues at the end of the season as we look forward to 2023. But this is clearly finality by benching him number one and then basically saying, yeah, it's maybe not really a good idea for you to be around because they don't want the media circus. And, you know, how much of a media circus really would it be? The Raiders aren't playing for anything. They're not playing for a playoff spot. And this is why this decision came now. Because remember, a lot of people were, were asking, they're saying, well, well, why now? Why? Because they were eliminated by the Pittsburgh Steelers going back to last Saturday night. All right. Then when the Chargers won their game on Monday night, officially eliminated the Raiders from playoff contention. So, okay, they're done. Now, does Derek Carr give the Raiders the best opportunity to win football games? Absolutely he does. No question he does. So if the Raiders had something to play for, Carr would still be the quarterback. But since the Raiders have nothing to play for, and they are not certain because of his performance this year, how bad he was, how horrible he was, how terrible he was in in all facets, that it's like, let's take a look now because we do not want to commit to him going forward to next year. 
So the Raiders being smart here saying, okay, we're not playing for nothing. Doesn't matter who's our quarterback. Hey, we got Jared Stidham. He learned and played a little bit, especially in exhibition games under Josh McDaniel at New England. And then this year with the Raiders, let's see what he has. And then this way, Derek Carr can't get hurt because if Derek Carr got hurt in the final two games, which he very easily could against the staunch defense of the San Francisco 49ers, and then next week against the Kansas City Chiefs, if he got hurt, his contract would be fully guaranteed of $32.9 million. Again, $32.9 million fully guaranteed. So clearly it's a business decision. But again, if the Raiders had something to play for, yes, he is your best quarterback in your roster. You will continue just like you did for the first 15 games, and you will go with Carr. But now, with nothing to play for, no reason to play Carr, and now it also gives you time to evaluate Stidham and really kind of distance yourself from Derek Carr. Big emotional day yesterday, as we talked about, in that locker room. You heard from Devontae Adams. You heard from... from um from uh, Darren Waller and others, they're saying, yeah, they, they were kind of surprised. They were shocked about this. And this locker room is kind of in flux right now because they know their season's over, nothing to play for. They got two behemoths of a team of teams coming in to uh, that are playing for something in the Niners and the Chiefs. And do not be surprised if the Raiders get blown out in both these games. But this is clearly about Carr's performance this season. And then overall, big picture, the bulk of his career, where he has not won a playoff game as a quarterback of the Raiders. And going forward, is he the guy that's going to be able to lead you to a Super Bowl? Clearly, he has not proven that. And then now one year, 15 games under Josh McDaniel, it's it's probably not going to work out. So therefore, give Derek Carr a chance to go somewhere else and get a fresh start of his career and see if it was just a bad match with him and the Raiders. Question for you. Yes. Didn't Josh, during the press conference yesterday, say that he was, that Derek was going to help Jarrett throughout everything? And then two hours later, three hours later, oh, he's going to be away from the team now. Yeah. Um, here's the thing with that. I don't think there was a two or three hour gap. I think that was decided. So the conversation took place with McDaniels, Dave Ziegler, and I believe Mark Davis. I don't know if Mark sat in on, on the meeting with Derek or, but we do know that, that Mark had conversations with Ziegler and, and McDaniels. Whose ultimate idea was it? Don't know whose actual idea it was, but the three head honchos were in concert with each other and deciding that, okay, this is the best move for the Raiders. And then you have that conversation, you know, with Derek. Now, whether they are all involved in the sit down with Derek, like McDaniel said, Hey, you know, now remember McDaniels in his press conference yesterday said, well, he opened the press conference yesterday and said, well, we met with the quarterbacks, you know, all the quarterbacks and decided to go with, with Jared and, you know, Derek um, will not play in the final two games. That's what we heard. But then, after that, it was decided for him not to be around the team, that he would be a distraction. 
don't know if that was Derek's idea or maybe it was just, you know, hey, what do you think about this? And because Derek didn't want to come and answer all those questions all over again, like he has to do each and every week after losses. So I believe that that conversation in general took place prior to Josh McDaniels addressing the media. And I don't know, you know, again, when you're a head coach in, in, in McDaniels in his first year, and again, we've seen him in these tough press conferences, he hasn't always handled it greatly. And that's just lack of experience with him. He's going to tell you some of the stuff. He's not going to tell you everything. Like he said, this is not finality. Well, he has to say that because if he says, okay, it's done, it's over, boom. Now the story becomes even larger than it is. And it's large here to Raider fans. It's large here in Las Vegas. But it's not really large in the grand scheme of things as far as the NFL. You know where the headlines yesterday, now if you listen to any national media, you had three stories that took place yesterday. One was Tua Tagovailoa was in concussion protocol. That was a big story coming up, coming out of Miami yesterday. The second story was that Taylor Heineke was no longer the quarterback of the Washington Commanders. All right, that they're going to Carson Wentz. And then the third story was Derek Carr being benched by the Raiders. Those were the national stories. But here in Vegas, it was all about Derek Carr and all about the Raiders. All equally important stories, and maybe even more important are those other two stories. Why? Because those teams are in the playoff hunt. Okay? Benching Tua, or, or, or Tua, you know, going back into concussion protocol, that's a big story because now the Dolphins don't have the starting quarterback. They're vying for a playoff spot, and... It, then it begs the question, okay, here we go again. Tua and concussion protocol again? Wait a minute. Could Tua be on his way out, not only of Miami down the road, but maybe out of this league because the NFL does not want to have this a continuing story of Tua having concussions. I mean, that is not good PR for the NFL. Not at all. Um, and there are some similar stories that we've, had in the past with concussion guys who've had concussions. Javid Best comes to mind. A lot of people may not remember when he was came out of Cal uh, and he, he played with the Detroit Lions. This guy had several concussions. It got to a point where he came in the game, got taken out of the game, and never went back in the game ever again and played again because they said it's too risky and they were tired. It was almost like Tua going back, you know, five, six years ago. So. Yeah, a lot of a, a lot of stories happen in the NFL, but this thing with 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 Derek Carr, yeah, a mutual agreement for him not to be around the team for the next couple weeks. All right, let's talk to the quarterback of the show, uh, the one and only Steve Berline. Uh, Steve, of course, a, a former Raider himself, and uh, we talk a lot of Raiders uh, uh, with Steve. But uh, what's going on, my man? Hey, what do you say, my my good friend there and. Chickenville, USA. <laughs> Chickenville, it is. That'd be that would be actually from a eating standpoint. I know he's not calling me a chicken, but yes, no, diving no, no. into that chicken, uh, no question, my friend. It's it's all good. Right away. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, good. Love to hear it, man. So, what do you make of this? When when you heard the news yesterday about Derek Carr being benched, and then the decision for him to stay away from the team, uh, give me your thoughts. You know, it's uh, it's a really, really difficult stage uh, for any organization 
to be in. And, um, you know, you feel for the, the, the magnitude of the decision both ways and, and the implication of what it means. Um, you know, I think the Raiders have been more than fair to Derek Carr over the years. Um, without a lot to show for it. Now, he's obviously been in a lot of very unique situations and a lot of very difficult situations. And, you know, the one real opportunity that he had to, to potentially go deep in the playoffs, he had that unfortunate um, uh, leg injury uh, that, that kept him from from playing into the playoffs. That was back when they were in Oakland. Um, but, you know, you look at how he's played and um, – uh, especially in the, in the last game against Pittsburgh, it was a horrible effort on his part. Um, and, you know, he's thrown interceptions in five consecutive games and, you know, uh, the stats on the season are, are average, uh, at best, uh, for, for, you know, top tier NFL quarterbacks. So you can understand where the Raiders are coming from. Now, I'm a little bit surprised because they are still mathematically, you know, in the hunt. Uh, for the playoffs. I mean, they, 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 it could happen, a very slim chance, but, uh, most teams, I think, don't make a decision like this until they're, they're eliminated. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's a tough call both ways. I know Josh McDaniel didn't take it lightly. I'm sure Mark Davis and the Raider organization put a lot of, a lot of hours into trying to make this decision and, uh, you feel for Derek Carr, but, um, you know, it, it uh, you, you figure something was going to happen after this season anyway. This just kind of makes it very clear to everybody that, that Derek Carr probably uh, is no longer uh, going to be a quarterback for the Raiders. Steve, what is your opinion? And we talked about this before, but just now with 15 games under Josh McDaniel's system here, what do you think of Carr as a quarterback, his overall ability, but the ability to lead, the ability to win a Super Bowl, I mean, when you when we see some of the mistakes that he's made, uh, some of the throws, some of the decisions, ball security, and then you know specifically for me, you know he wanted Devonte Adams, but for Devonte Adams to get two balls thrown his way, you know, for a total of fifteen yards last week, and we've seen Devonte be very upset about this, you know, that they just. It seems that he's looking off Devonte. He's afraid to trust him. He's afraid to throw to him. Uh, give me your overall opinion about what you've seen from Derek specifically this year. Well, well, first off, Devonte, you know, he's he's had a really nice run for for the second half of the season for sure. They had a little trouble getting it going early in the year. Um, you know, personally, uh, you know, Pittsburgh came into that game thinking we are not going to give you uh, uh, give Devonte Adams a chance to to impact this football game. And to me, that's on the quarterback to to make sure that the, the the opposing team pays the price if they decide to commit that heavily to taking away your star player. And you, you have a, a, a tight end in, in Darren Waller who um, has missed most of the season. He wasn't much of a factor when he was healthy early in the season. Say what you want about it. But in that, I, I was watching that game, the last play of the game uh, for the Raiders, I think it was fourth and four, or something like that, and he tried to throw a fade route to Devontae Adams into tight double coverage, and the ball sailed out of bounds. I looked at the replay several times. Darren Waller was one-on-one on that play, and, and he's a big target and that athletic guy over the middle of the field that, that, that would have given Derek Carr a very good opportunity to convert that, 
that that fourth and four. And, you know, decision-making in those situations is so important. And, uh, I mean, any situation it's important, but, you know, to be able to identify the matchups and there's not, I, I, that's one play I'm talking about, but it just kind of, to me, I sat there and I watched it over and over again. I was like, what was he thinking there? I mean, he's, he's a veteran quarterback. He's been around for a long time. I've defended him many, many times over the years. Um, thinking that if they just got the support around him, that he could, he could take this team on a deep run. But, uh, you know, there's some things that have happened during the course of this year. I didn't like the way earlier in the year when uh, he got frustrated in that one press conference and kind of questioned publicly the, the significance or the importance of, uh, of the full commitment of all of his teammates. And, uh, there are some of those things that, that I think that, that do some damage internally that are hard to recover from and especially when you're not playing super good football so you know if you're if you're playing really well and you want to come out and make a statement like that uh then you you have every right in the world to come out and do it because you're you're able to back it up by your performance but when you're when you're not playing very well and you're calling out other people uh publicly uh not by name but but you're calling out your teammates publicly to me, I think that that creates internal issues, and and maybe as the season went along, it just became a, a decision for the Raiders to say, hey, you know, it's, it's time to maybe move on. We've given him a chance to to to, to show if he can do it or not. It hasn't happened. Here's Devontae Adams talking uh, about uh, the thoughts about uh, Derek Carr being benched and what this means to uh, Devontae. I don't want to sit here and make this entire thing about that. I think we're just going to knock this out in, in a in a little single hitter here. But, I mean, um, obviously, I don't think anybody was excited about it in here. Um, you know, him being one of one of my really good friends and, you know, the reason why I came here in the first place. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be here right now if he wasn't, the, you know, if he wasn't here. So um, I think everybody knows how I feel about him and, and you know, with that said, there's a, there's a process of how things go, and I'm not going to sit here and, and go on and on, but obviously I support my guy, and, um, you know, I, you know, we, we got to finish the season out, you know, the best way we can possible with, you know, all things considered at this point, but, uh, yeah. Devontae Adams, again, the reason why he came here was to play with his college teammate, uh, Derek Carr. Steve Berline joins us. A former quarterback and a former Raider quarterback talking about this. Steve, how much of this is maybe right guy, maybe with the wrong team? We know he's spent his entire career here with the Raiders and, and he's had some decent seasons. He's through for 4,000 yards was last season. But, you know, for the most part, you know, we haven't seen a very consistent Derek Carr, a very good Derek Carr. But then again, you know, Raiders haven't had great offensive lines, haven't had good defenses, ranking near, you know, the bottom in the defensive categories is about every year he's been a Raider. Does he possess the intangibles to be a guy to maybe lead another team to a Super Bowl? Well, I, the, the intangibles, you know, I think are hard to, to, to measure and quantify. Uh, everybody's different. But I, th- I, I did not for one second imply that I don't think Derek Carr can play. Uh, because I've seen him play and I've been, as I said, very supportive of him over the years. Uh, but sometimes, you know, relationships run their course and, and players need, uh, uh, to get a fresh start. And, um, this to me is one of those situations. I think there are a lot of teams that would love to give Derek Carr a chance to, to show if he can do it or not. That would, that would, that think he's still got plenty of gas in the tank. I still think he does as well. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of teams out there that could be fits for him. And you can look at uh, the, the, the commanders, whatever they decided to do. You can look at the New York Jets. You can look at a lot of other teams. We can go down the list and, yeah. and pick out potential landing spots for him. And sometimes you, we, we, we all know stories about quarterbacks that have rejuvenated their careers when given a new opportunity. And I think that could very well happen with Derek Carr. This is going to be something that would be very difficult to come back from uh, and wear the silver and black next year the way this, this season is ending. As a quarterback, how tough is it to overcome a bad or a patched up offensive line? Or on the other side, you know, we talked about the, the bad defenses the Raiders have had. How tough is that for a quarterback uh, when you're talking about being successful? Well, it's very tough. Uh, obviously, the quarterback's best friend, uh, uh, I should say best friends, mm-hmm. I've always said this, are, are a great running game and a great defense. Uh, if you, if you've got, uh, the support of a really good running game, you know the defenses are going to have to commit to stopping the run. You're going to get great one-on-one matchups on the outside. Uh, the Raiders have had that this year with Josh Jacobs and how he's played. Uh, the other best friend for uh, a quarterback is, is a great defense because you don't feel like you have to always outscore the opponent. You don't have to force the issue and try and uh, light up the scoreboard every single week if you've got a defense that can just keep you in ball games and give you a chance to win. Uh, that's been an area of contention for sure and, and challenge for the Raiders. And, um, you know, but, but you, you, you can't make excuses. You still have to find a way to get it done. Um, he's had chances over the years with teams that, that needed to find a way to, to win one or two games late in the season, uh, uh, you know, to, to make that, uh, that playoff, uh, dance. And it just hasn't happened for him. Um, and I'm, you're not gonna, I think it's wrong to go through all the different scenarios or things that happened, that he, the challenges that he's had, uh, because you could do that for every quarterback in the league. I mean, you, you could find ways to, to make excuses for them not performing, uh, very well. Uh, the bottom line is when, when you get the opportunity to make plays, you gotta make them. And, uh, it just hasn't happened enough this year for, for Derek Carr. And, you know, we, everybody blames Josh McDaniel for, the losses that the Raiders have had when they've had those big leads uh, throughout the course of the season. At some point, your playmakers have to make plays too, right? To protect those leads and to, and to, to convert the third downs and to, to get into scoring position and to, you know, score touchdown instead of settling for a field goal. Those things fall on players making plays at key moments too. And I'm sure there's an argument to be made that, that he had opportunities to do that in some of those games. Maybe that's all going into the, the decision making process. All right. Let's uh, change gears a little bit. You know, Saturday is huge. Uh, looking forward to this. We're after, you know, more than 30 days waiting. We're finally going to get our, our college football playoff and our two semifinal games. Let's uh, quickly break down both games, man, from your standpoint. TCU and Michigan. All right. We'll, uh, we'll kick it off. Look forward to this. Uh, Michigan's an eight point favorite. We know TCU have had a, a, a great season, uh, a miracle season, but they did not win the Big 12 championship. And Michigan has just pretty much been steamrolling along, even though they had a couple close calls, especially that, that game against Illinois, but then they steamrolled Ohio State. Uh, give me your thoughts, man, uh, on the matchups here. And could we potentially see an upset in either one of these games? Well, I, I don't, I don't see it happening. Um, you know, I really think that, that Michigan, um, in my mind, I would, I would say even ahead of Georgia is the favorite, um, because of how they absolutely manhandled Ohio State in the, in the 
horseshoe and just the way they did that, the confidence that they're riding on. They're obviously a very focused team. I've got buddies in, in Phoenix on the Fiesta Bowl committee that are pissed off because uh, Jim Harbaugh and the, and the Michigan team have completely um, locked out any liaisons from the from the Fiesta Bowl committee yeah. from doing their normal things and being involved and kind of being part of the welcoming committee. That Michigan came in and said, we don't want any help. We're going to do our things our way. We don't want to disrupt our people from their their, 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 you know, their mindset right now where this is a business trip and we're coming down there to take care of business and give us, give ourselves a chance to win the national championship. I think, you know, TCU, it's been a great year for them. Uh, they showed they were human in, in losing the, you know, the big 12 championship game. Um, you know, I, I think they're a really good football team, but they for sure were, you know, were a fringe, uh, playoff team. There's a lot of people that argue that they shouldn't have been there, but, uh, they deserve this opportunity and could they pull off an upset? Sure they can. But, but I don't think it's going to take a superhuman effort from Max du- Duggan. Duggan, is it Duggan or yeah, Duggan? It's Duggan, yeah, right. Yeah. Duggan, yeah. From him. And he's, he's had some big games this year and he's, he's impressed. He's a great leader. He's got a lot of talent around him. Uh, but it's going to take a superhuman effort from him. I, I think Michigan will probably win that game pretty comfortably. And then on the other side, Ohio State, Georgia. Um, you know, Ohio State has shown the ability to to step up and play really big in big games. I, I wouldn't be surprised. That would not be a uh, an upset that I think would 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 people would say, you know, boy, that's an absolute shocker because they have some great players in Ohio State, and if they step up and play their best game and keep catch Georgia on not a perfect day, um, I think most people would not be surprised if that were to happen. But you got to go into the game thinking that. With Stetson Bennett and all the all the people they've got on both sides of the ball with Georgia, their experience in playing in this situation, uh, they've got to be the favorite for sure in that football game. And uh, it would be an upset, but I wouldn't be surprised if it were to happen with Ohio State. Yeah, playing in the backyard there, the Peach Bowl, uh, Georgia uh, against Ohio State. It's funny that you bring that up about the 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 Fiesta Bowl because these are bowl games, right. but like you said, they're national semifinal games too, and. I can't say that I blame Jim Harbaugh and it kind of feels bad for those directors of the Fiesta Bowl and, and the other bowls because yeah, th- this is not your traditional type of bowl thing where most teams are happy to be there. Uh, you mix in the, the business with the pleasure, but for this, it, this is a, a do or die. This is your semifinal game. This is what you've worked all, you know, your entire season or seasons, you know, to get to this point. And so I can kind of understand why it may not feel like a bowl game. You know what I mean? This is yeah. this is a playoff oh, yeah. game. This is like it's yeah, like a Super I, my, Bowl. My buddy, he thought he had a great argument. He he, uh, you know, he sent me this. He sent a text out to this group chat, chat that I'm on, and he said, "Can you believe this, man? You know, a lot of a lot of superlatives in there as well." <laughs> uh, he was pissed. He's like, "You know, we all take off a full week of work. We've been working all year long to make this situation." Uh, a special one for, for both of the teams. And those of us that got assigned to the Michigan, you know, uh, Michigan side of things, we're, we're screwed. You know, this is terrible. Can you believe it? And I, my comment was very simple to him. I said, dude, it's a business trip for Jim Harbaugh and Michigan. That just period. They're not worried about you all. <laughs> this is a business trip. They're on a mission. Sorry. It's just the way it goes. It is. So, yeah, well, let me it's ask a you, very man. Simple argument. What are you doing uh, tomorrow about twelve thirty? You got any plans? 
Well, I will be watching that game. <laughs> there you go. Tomorrow about 1230. The, the Fighting other. Irish. The Fighting yeah. Irish are in the Gator Bowl. It's weird. we got a Gator Bowl. We've got a mi- middle of the day, a Friday, against South Carolina. Uh, how excited are the Ar- Irish to be here? Well, I think that they're excited. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, it would be a, a nice little uh, end of the season uh, for, for Marcus Freeman's first year to to come out of it with the bowl game win and the Gator Bowl over a, a, a South Carolina team that's shown it can play with the big boys on different occasions. So, um, you know, they're looking at it as just a, a, a chance to start uh, in their 2023 season off. They're going to have a new quarterback in uh, this this week. Um, I think it's going to be Buckner, um, who started the season. You know, I still don't think Notre Dame has a proven quarterback. That's what's held them back all year, I believe. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I, I think they'll be primed and ready for this game. And uh, it'd be great to, to finish off year one under Marcus Freeman with a, uh, a nice stamp, a good win over a good South Carolina team. All right, and the Irish, a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this game, and we've seen Spencer Rattler do some special things with South Carolina, especially towards the end of the season. But, uh, yeah, I think it's an in- intriguing matchup, and I think for the most part, from here on out, we've got some pretty intriguing matchups for the rest of the bowl games. You know, it, 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 it's the new host bowl, my friend. It's the new host bowl. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Coming strong with that Irish accent. Let's see, last time we got Lou Holtz. And, and now we there, there it is. is. Is that Lou Holtz? Uh, you know, you know, you're saying it like that, or who is that saying that? What is that? Well, let me just tell you, it, 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 it is a a very um, globally respected Lou Holtz impersonation that I do. That's true. And so, uh, uh, <laughs> it is. It is. It's uh, very highly regarded. But anyway, my point is. <laughs> That this is you didn't talk. This is the Lou Holtz Bowl. It and, is uh, South Carolina. You know, South Carolina, right? Notre Dame, of yeah. course, it is exactly. Yeah. But I mean, we still don't think of Lou Holtz. Uh, you know, we think of him more as a Notre Dame coach than sure. we do as South Carolina. Sure. We we do. But you're right. No I mean, doubt. Tie, ties to to both schools. I mean, uh, yeah. where where would Lou? Uh, you know, is he going to sit on the fifty yard line for this? He's going to sit at home. He's going to wear some you know uh, some green on one side and red on the other. Or what do you think? You know, I, I don't know. I haven't spoken to him uh, in the last few weeks, so I don't yeah. know exactly what he's going to be doing. But I guarantee he will not be in the spotlight anywhere doing anything. He he uh, he's going to be watching yeah. with interest because he's he's a big supporter of Marcus Freeman, and mm-hmm. uh, you know I think he really wants to see the Irish finish it off right this this week as well. Now, see, we I, I sh- we should have reached out to to Lou and had him on the show. You know, so we can specifically talk about this, and then I can ask him some Burline questions. Why don't you set that up for us, huh? Why don't you call your old buddy and tell him that uh, hey, you know, your buddy in Las Vegas who uh, would love to talk with him, uh, talk about Notre Dame, South Carolina, and we want we need some Burline isms. That's what we need from Lou. Well, uh, he's got plenty of them. He always he finds a way to work me into every freaking uh, speaking engagement that he does. Um, he he throws a Burline story out there. Hey, there might uh, be a free so. bucket of chicken in for you if you you know you want to go ahead and manage that. <laughs> you know, you want a bucket of 
Hey, if I could pull that off, it's going to take a little more than a bucket that, of chicken. That's okay. That. That's okay. Bucket <laughs> of chicken, some of those Tito's, you know, a, a nice room around a golf. Well, sounds familiar. Yeah, no problem, man. Yeah. Yeah, I got sir. you, brother. I got you. Well, we'll see if we can pull it off one of these days. Uh, all right, man. We'll let you go. We appreciate it, as always. Uh, have a happy new year. Uh, enjoy. I'm sure that, uh, you know, you're going to find yourself in a nice little, uh, you know, swaggy little party to go to on new year's eve right well actually i think i'm probably going to go to a local sports bar that hosts a lot of notre dame events um listen to this name silky sullivan irish pub oh wow in in fountain valley california (laughs) and uh the owners uh, went to my high school and he's a notre dame fanatic and uh they do a great job of, of promoting the irish there big time so uh yeah It'll be a lot of fun. If you're looking for Steve Berline, Silky Sullivan's. There you go. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Con- cocktail in hand. You'll be wearing some blue, some gold, some green. Yeah, I get you. All right. That's the way to no spend doubt, it. Baby. Way to spend it. All right, brother. Yes, appreciate you as always, and we'll talk to you real soon. All right. Take care. See you guys. My guy, Steve Berline, uh, the pride of the Irish, of course, uh, does a great job uh, on CBS uh, Sports Network as well, too. The uh, NFL Monday quarterback. All right. We come back. We go to the sports book, the world famous super book, Jay Cornegay. We talk lines of NFL and the college football playoff. Hey, this is Steve Heitner. And lucky you, you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. Uh, that's gold, baby. Gold. Come on out and see us tomorrow at the West Gate of Las Vegas, the Superbook. Oh, yeah. Jay Schrader will be in the house with us tomorrow. Marco D'Angelo as well. And do we have confirmation? Are we getting Captain Jack Rackham with us tomorrow, Numchuck? Is he coming? I believe so, because he said he was going to be on a flight today. So I got to make sure. So we're going to have to tell our good friend Jay Cornegay to bat down the hatches and maybe get some extra security if, you know, we're going to have Captain Jack Rackham. Can we turn your little area into a perch? Yeah, with some parrots and some telescopes and some some cannons and, you know, you're talking about like a, a pirate ship? Yeah. That's what we're talking about? Yeah. Sure, yeah. I'm, I'm sure Jay will get the crew to start decorating uh, immediately right you, now. Use your sign as a, as a pirate flag? Yeah, <laughs> pirate flag. There you go. Right. Uh, why do I feel like I'm talking about Raymond James Stadium now? That's what I feel like. I don't know. Alright. Uh, speaking of which, here is the esteemed vice president of operations at the world-famous Superbook. How about that introduction? The one and only Jay Cornegay. What's going on, brother? What am I esteemed about? Uh, uh, you are esteemed. That doesn't mean you're <laughs> oh, esteemed. But oh, I'll, tell you, I, I'll tell you what you're esteemed about. Now, this is a perfect segue. Uh, if you're living in Denver, you're living in Las Vegas. If you're a Raider fan or a Bronco fan, which, you know, you kind of are both, but you're a big-time Bronco guy, are you more esteemed about what's going on in Denver right now or what's happening here in Vegas with the Raiders? Where's the more oh, chaos? Definitely, Where's the more... definitely. Well, What's a disappointment? It's more in? concerning, you know, with the Broncos because they committed already and have certain obligations with their current quarterback, which is very concerning. You know, as far as the Raiders are concerned, at least they're it, it's going to be a new era, right? They're going to turn the page. They they have an opportunity to maybe you know go in a, a different direction, maybe even a more positive direction. But as far as the Broncos, it's they're already committed. They have nowhere to go. So there's, they're pretty much screwed, okay? <laughs> the Raiders, they have this opportunity. And, well, 
Yeah, I was talking to somebody about this earlier today. It's like, okay, plan A right here is to change, you know, uh, the quarterback situation. But the second half of plan A is what are they going to do to replace Carr? Who are they going to replace him with? That's what they got to figure out. I mean, I, you know, they're not going to give, you know, all these draft picks away. I don't, at least I don't think to, you know, go get Young or Stroud coming out of the draft. And uh, I heard, you know, next year's draft is more quarterback-heavy draft, you know, with Caleb, you know, Williams and May, and and um, I can't remember. There's a couple others that yeah, those are, the are two pretty main good ones prospects. Up. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. So what's the second half of plan A? Well, and that's what they get to address now, and they are going to have actually have a little bit of time to do that. But here, I mean, as much as I think that 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 Bryce Young could be a good quarterback, I'm still not sure that C.J. Stroud would be. And again, you're right; they don't they're not going to have the you know a pick in the top four or five. Okay, more than likely they're not going to have that. So you're going to have to go up and do that. They don't they don't have the draft capital to to wheel and deal with that. So you are going to need to probably get. A, a veteran quarterback, which is what I think fans want to see. And I think that's probably what Mark Davis would like to see. And that's your better road for success. I mean, look what this 49ers did. I, I, I still can't get over that. And I, I said it when it happened. You know, they're reaching for Trey Lance, moving up for Trey Lance. Like, are you kidding me? And the, you know, these teams that are just falling in love with these college quarterbacks that, that aren't proven and, you know, I mean, Mitchell Trubisky coming out of North Carolina, played one year there. I mean, for the most part, it doesn't work. Okay, Jalen Hurts made all the sense in the world because the guy was a winner at Alabama. He was a winner at Oklahoma. Uh, he had all the intangibles. He had a very high IQ, uh, played for two very you know good programs and coaches. I get that, and it doesn't surprise me. But for the Raiders, yeah, you're right, Jay. They've got to start looking, and this is why they're doing this now. Uh, they're going to move on from Derek Carr. And you're probably going to have them take a good deep dive at Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, not only because he's available, but because there's a familiarity. And, you know, the, the the guy might make some sense. Is he a better quarterback than Derek Carr? I don't know. We know he's been more injured than Derek Carr. But, you know, I don't really want to hear the nonsense about Brady and potentially Rodgers and all that kind of stuff because those are both quarterbacks. They're on their downward spiral. And then you're going to have to pay them a ton of money to come here, even if it's just for one year. So to me, that doesn't make sense. But, you know, to me, the, the Raiders got some big decisions to make. And, and I don't think they're going to be in any hurry right, right away to, to make those decisions. They're going to take their time and see how it plays out and what's out there. Yeah. That's why, you know, plan A or the first half of plan A is to, you know, move on from car. That's easy. We part. all understand that. Okay. That's the easy part. I thought it's like the second part of it is to replace him, you know, with a quarterback that is going to lead them. And those are hard to find. Now, we talked about, you know, Young, Stroud, and I kind of agree with you. I I, just, I think Young's probably going to go number one. Uh, so, they're, you know, Raiders will not be able to afford that. And not to mention, you know, it's, even though he's at Alabama, he's unproven. And that's always a scary thought because there's so many of those that just don't pan out. You know, I you know my preference would be to find a veteran quarterback that has already had success at the pro level. Okay, so right. you know that he can play at this because we've seen so many quarterbacks, um, you know, do very well in school or college and then just fall flat in the pros. 
Um, you know, the, the, you mentioned Garoppolo, and that's an interesting situation in San Francisco. You're right. They got all their money on Trey Lance, and good luck with that. Um, so you're looking at Garoppolo. I mean, even, even Brock Purdy's like, oh, my gosh, people are talking about him. Um, I, I certainly agree with you about, you know, Tom Brady and Rodgers. I'm certainly not really – I respect Tom Brady and what, it, what he's done, of course, but, man, he does look like a different quarterback. He's really missing a lot of reads, you know, missing throws. Um, you know, maybe it's time. Aaron Rodgers probably has another year, maybe two at the most. But you know what is interesting is Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is a free agent, I believe, after this season. Right. And, you know, he might be available, um, which I, I think – I like Lamar Jackson. You know, at first I wasn't too, you know, sure about him, but I think he has improved, you know, his throwing and his accuracy and decision-making, not to certain levels that we see around the league, but enough that complements his running and the running threat. So I thought that might be an option. You know, I'm not a big Lamar Jackson fan. I, I just, you want to talk about bad reads. I mean, which we've seen with Carr. I mean, look at Lamar Jackson. I mean, accuracy, question marks, bad reads. And then I just don't know about his, his football IQ. And here's a guy that, you know, every year it seems like he's missing more and more time, you know, with injuries, you know. Uh, because he, he, he kind of does play a little bit reckless. I mean, from an athletic point of view, if he's healthy, he's very, very intriguing, but I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to do. And again, there's another guy that is going to cost you a boatload of money. And if the Raiders are so concerned about taking a, you know, a $33 million cap hit with Derek Carr, well, what do you think Lamar Jackson is going to cost you? You know, so I, yeah. I think that's, yeah. The, yeah. So that's, that's kind well, of a quirky situation too. Yeah, so we're still at square one here, right? right. We're trying oh, to yeah. Yeah. We're, try, yeah. we're trying to figure this out. Like, yeah. where do they go? Yeah. You know, it's like there's not a lot of options out there, and unless somehow they're able to get in a good draft position for next year, um, you know, I'm not saying tank the season. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying to you know maneuver some things to get up there to land, you know, Williams or May. Um, I think that uh, May has the, the chance, but again, unproven, you know, you never know what you're going to get. Um, you know, you see it with all these guys like Zach Wilson and, and some others that have and, you know, recently just bombed in the NFL that they're terrific at, at the college level. So, um, you know, a lot, not a lot of options right now. So I'm, I'm really curious how to see how this pans out. Yeah, And the thing is with Jared Stidham, I mean, this literally is a two game audition for him. And if he has that comfortability in McDaniel's system, okay, then, then maybe, maybe if he looks stellar the next two weeks, and he it does that against the you know two best teams in football, arguably the Niners and the Chiefs. Maybe he is your stopgap until next year's draft, right. or another free agent. So, and I think that's maybe yeah, yeah. what they're hoping for. So maybe that yeah. might be you know their their plan B right now uh, in the short term. So we'll see. I don't know. Uh, tonight yeah. we've got Thursday night football. We've got the Cowboys in Tennessee. We've seen this line just rocket up. I don't know where you're at now, Jay. What 13, 13 and a half? Josh Dobbs yeah. is the quarterback for Tennessee. You know, it's not Ryan Tannehill. He's he's injured. Uh, it's uh, not Malik. What's his name? <laughs> he's he, he's being benched. So Willis. no, it's yeah, yeah, Malik Willis. Josh Dobbs is your quarterback. Here's the question. 
Does anybody want Tennessee from a betting perspective tonight? No, absolutely not. Um, you know, we, we got up there and you say, you, well, we saw some 14s. I don't think we're, we've seen any 14 and a half, but we're sitting at 13 and a half. And I'm looking at it it's like 90% of the tickets are on the Cowboys, whether it's uh, the money line or um, the point line itself. The total seems that just kind of trickling down a little bit. It, every, it feels like about every hour it goes down a half. When people are finding out, like, Dobbs has got, like, 17 career passes in six years or something crazy like that. Um, it's um, not a great game. You know, I, I think this is a, kind of a definition of a Thursday night game. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I know that a lot of people have some uh, fantasy implications because this is championship week mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Right. So they're looking at, you know, too bad for those guys that have Derrick Henry. He's going to sit. But the Cowboys, you know... Uh, have plenty of uh, those type of fantasy players that are people that people have been talking about all day. So we'll, we'll, I guess there's some interest in the game. What have you guys done with the Niners and Raiders line, especially since uh, the car has been uh, benched? Well, when we were um, we were at five and a half, forty nines were five and a half uh, when um, the news broke out, and it quickly went to ten um, after the adjustment. And it was there for a while, and let me just get it was down to nine and a half, um, and we still are at nine and a half. I see nine and a half across the board right now. So, you know, with Carr is minus five and a half, but Sinem um, is nine and a half. Mm-hmm. Wow! All right, Jay. Saturday, looking forward to it. You got uh, the national college football semifinals. <laughs> Uh, TCU and Michigan, Michigan eight, then of course Georgia seven over Ohio State. Are you seeing some good two way action in both these games? Um, well, the what the first game, you know, we dropped down, we opened nine on Michigan, it dropped down to uh seven and a half, and that was some sharp guys that were taking the points there. But ever since then, um, it's just been Michigan, uh, take, I think, uh, let me just double check here. Majority of the action after that first movement that we saw on TCU, it's it's really been well, it's been staying at seven and a half. But a majority of the tickets, the general public, seem to be in love with Michigan. I really thought this thing was going to go back up, um, but uh, it really, really hasn't. I shouldn't say the majority, but I'd say most of the tickets have been on the Wolverine. Okay, and then uh, Georgia and Ohio State. Oh, geez. Um, you know, no sharp action on this game, surprisingly. Hmm. We haven't seen I thought it was going to go to seven. Um, I'm really surprised it's not there. Uh, but uh, I know the betting public uh, are looking at Georgia, and about 85% of the tickets are on Georgia. Um, and it's just been sitting at six and a half. I've, I haven't seen any sevens yet. We haven't been to seven. Um, so um, a lot of a lot of volume, though. Both games have tremendous amount of action on it. Uh, you know, we're we're talking about sides that are getting most of the action, but these two games are clearly the most popular games as they should be. As they should be. All right, uh, great stuff. Uh, well, looking forward to that. Remember, the first kickoff is one o'clock uh, on Saturday, and then uh, Ohio State in uh, Georgia will be about uh, five o'clock. So, uh, looking forward uh, to those games. Uh, a full day of bowl games tomorrow while we're at. Uh, 
at the Superbook. Uh, that's going to be fantastic. And and we're finally getting some meaningful games now, J two from the from the uh, bull side. And I'm sure that uh, you know the volume is picking up on on just about all these games as we work our way not only towards the college football playoff games but New Year's Day as well too. Yeah, I really enjoy this time of year. I mean, especially when we have you know, kickoff at 9 a.m. and the last kickoff is at 5 or 6. We have, you know, what, five bowl games tomorrow. Um, uh, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, a great time when you're a football fan and you're seeing, uh, you know, action throughout the whole day and uh, looking at a couple of, you know, I think that Clemson-Tennessee game is going to be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, South Carolina-Notre Dame even, I like that one as well. Uh, but uh, five solid games uh, tomorrow. And you, you mentioned the two playoff games that are on Saturday. You know, we have two other bowl games that start in the, in the morning. You know, you got Iowa and Kentucky and you got Kansas State and Alabama. Not too shabby early uh, Saturday morning. I know. It just seems weird that we're having a sugar bowl at 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and it's <laughs> not even New Year's Day. You know, it's just weird. That game needs to be... Uh, you know, on January second at, at five o'clock at night. I mean, and it's a good I, game. I mean, Alabama I, should be in the in the in the playoff, and they're not, and they're on the outside looking in. I mean, that's a great game, man. Yeah, it is. I I've gone to about four Sugar Bowls in the last ten years, and let me tell you, oh, you know, man. you know that it's in New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> so, and imagine, you know, our game when we went. They were always like five o'clock local time, and now it's what twelve o'clock local time. Eleven. Gonna, that's, that's a two-hour difference in New Orleans. Eleven a.m. Oh, it's ridiculous. Is it two hours. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's a that's an early <laughs> early kickoff when you're in New Orleans. I know. Where's this? The Outback Bowl or the you know the the <laughs> mower what the Bad Boy Mowers Bowl? No, it's a Sugar Bowl. Come on, man. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. All right, brother. Uh, we appreciate it, man. Uh, we'll look forward to, to seeing you around tomorrow. John Murray will join us uh, at the Superbook as well, too. Part two of our, our Westgate combo with you guys. So appreciate you as always, my friend. And uh, uh, enjoy the next couple days and an, an exciting New Year's weekend. Yeah, we'll see you tomorrow, TC. Look forward to it. You got it, brother. There he is, Jay Cornegay, my man over at the Westgate. We come back. Kevin Kruger is going to join us. We'll talk UNLV Rebels basketball. They're 0-1 in Mountain West Conference play. After 11-1, they were 10-0 in non-conference. Bad loss for them last night. We'll talk to KK coming up next. And then Scott Sprites will join us next hour. Handicapping Week 17 in the NFL and the bowl games. Capital of the world. A Smith screen. Hoji will defend. Oh! LeBron James with no record for human life. It's the TC Martin Show. Oh! Flight nine is cleared for landing. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. And Saul says, hey, pass a big ticket. TC Martin. And here comes the Birdman. Flapping his way. And soaring for a sweet flush. When you're aerodynamically designed with that hairdo, you can do those kinds of things with that sweet mohawk. The doctor is now in. Unos, dos, tres. Ole! Ole! Hour number two here on this thunderous Thursday. All right. Appreciate Steve Berline joining us in hour one, talking Raiders. 
talking NFL. Jay Cornegay over at the Westgate. Don't forget, we'll be at the world-famous Superbook, our Friday home, each and every Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Come on by. See the show live. They are the quarterback of our show. Jay Schrader will be in the house tomorrow, and Marco D'Angelo joins us. Captain Jack Rackham, Super Raider fan. He's picking a bad time to come. I mean, <laughs> right? That'll be fun. All right, so come on out, see the show live tomorrow. Best bet segment and a whole lot more coming your way at the Westgate of Las Vegas tomorrow. All right, Scott Spritzer joins us in hour number two here. We start handicapping NFL Week 17. Also talking about the college football playoffs. More talk with that. Can hardly wait to those two games coming up on Saturday. And also, speaking of Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock, the UNLV Runner Rebels will be in action at home. Their Mount West Conference home opener against the San Diego State Aztecs. Always a game that is circled on the calendar and uh, looking forward to that game. And uh, the Rebels uh, coming off uh, a loss last night. Um, maybe a little bit of a surprising loss as they open Mountain West Conference play against Sandy uh, San Jose State last night. 75-72 UNLV loses in overtime last night. The Rebels are still sitting right now at 11-2. and They won their first 10 games of the season, as we know, and they had that uh, last-second loss to USF, came back and beat Southern Miss, and the Open Mountain West Conference play last night on the road at San Jose State. And join us now the head coach, Kevin Kruger. Kevin, how you doing, my friend? Doing all right. How you guys doing? Good, good, good. All right, so... Last night's game, obviously not the outcome uh, that you wanted. Uh, we go back and, you know, you, you look at the game, Kevin. Uh, what went wrong, in, in, in your opinion, uh, in last night's game? Yeah, I thought we had a pretty good fight, especially in the second half, and a good start, you know, first 10, 15 minutes or so, or 12 minutes. Um, but then San Jose went on a little run, and we just uh, couldn't quite get a – it got a little bit of a cushion, and and it was just too much for us to to kind of come back from. We made a good fight back, but uh, ended up taking the lead, but just couldn't hang on to it. Yeah, like you said, I mean, the first half was kind of rough. You're down 11 at the half, but then you come back, and you know, game is tied. You know, right down the stretch, uh, go into overtime, and then uh, they outscore you in OT by three, lose the game 75 to 72. Uh, you know, in that second half, um, you know, Harkless, uh, you know, kind of carried you a little bit, but he was scoreless in the first half. Why do you think the slow start just overall as, as a team in the first half, but then specifically, you know, with, uh, with, with Harkless? Yeah, I think that, you know, something we got to figure out. Um, we've, we've got to, you know, just, uh, do a better job of, uh, of getting off the better starts and, uh, you know, because when conference play rolls around, it's 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 a whole different mm-hmm. whole different dynamic, and there's a whole different atmosphere and electricity, and uh, that's definitely something that we've got to focus on. You know, a lot of fans will look at last night's loss as, as a major disappointment, but this is a different San Jose State team. This is not the same San Jose State team that we've seen struggle mightily. Uh, in years past. I mean, they had a, a very good non-conference win against Santa Clara, and Santa Clara is an upper echelon team in the WCC. This is this team is is going to, you know, compete in the WCC. 
but uh, you know, and you look at the San Jose State team, they are 10 and 4. Tim Miles is there. Uh, he's had success before. And uh it's it is. Does it just, you know, seem like a different San Jose State team to you when you faced them last night? Well, of course, they're definitely yeah, much better than they were last year and coach Miles has got them playing really well and uh I think that's uh that's true across the conference, you know, yeah. ourselves included. Um I think we're a better team than we were last year. I think uh pretty much across the board, you're going to find a lot of a lot of teams saying they feel uh, they're in a better spot than last year even. And um and I think the strength of the conference is uh has kind of spoke for itself in the non-conference and it's going to be tough to win games this year. So when you're dealing with, you know, young student athletes like this, and even though you, you've got seniors, you got a veteran core here, you guys start off, uh, as we mentioned, 10 and 0 and 11 and 1 overall. And it felt like, okay, you guys are really riding some momentum, you know, into conference play here. How surprised, you know, were you that, uh, that, you know, you did have that slow start and you ended up with the loss last night. Uh, and I don't want to say, you know, ask you if it's complacency or anything of that nature, but what, if you, if you got to kind of pinpoint it and, or what, what, how do you feel that, you know, okay, well, wait, wait a minute now. I mean, this is, it, it, was it a different emotion, you know, last night as you left out of that building compared to, to where you were just say, you know, a week or two ago? Um, yeah, I don't think complacency is the right word. This is a group, you know, came back for after a really tough San Francisco loss and beat a, a pretty good Southern Miss team. So I, I don't think complacency is the word. I think, uh, it was just one of those nights. Uh, we just went through a rough patch and, and, uh, was just weren't able to come back from it. And, you know, and you're, you're right. Mountain West conference play, any conference play is tough. I mean, you can kind of throw everything else out the window. And, you know, San Jose State feels like, hey, they got a good team and they were ready to play last night. They were hungry. Uh, looks like a, a much better team, just like the rest of the conference. I mean, conference play is its own different beast, isn't it? Without a doubt. I mean, there's, uh, there's just, it's just a lot different. It's, it's one of those things that's tough to put into words, but yeah, I mean, conference games are, have a different energy to them. And, uh, yeah, we, we had an opportunity to get a, get a road win in conference last night and, and uh, we're kicking ourselves today for it. But uh, Mountain West is, is a tough conference always has been. And I think uh, this year it's as good as it's, it's ever been. How were the guys last night after the game and, and how are they today after, after, after your practice? How do you think they handled the situation? Uh, it was good. I mean, it was tough last night. You know, there, there was frustration um, just because that was a feeling we hadn't really had. Uh, we didn't, we haven't left the game. Um, with that kind of feeling of uh, just not being able to kind of, you know, as tough as the San Francisco game was, we still we did a lot of really good things. And uh, even though we did some good things last night, um, it just wasn't, just didn't quite have that same feel to it. And uh, that's what we got to figure out today and figure out going forward because uh, in the Mountain West, uh, they, they just don't get easier as you go on. Kevin Kruger joins us, head coach of UNLV. Rebels lose last night on the road to open play in the Mountain West Conference, 75-72, still 11-2. Very impressive overall. Uh, Keyshawn Gilbert did not start last night because he had arrived late. Uh, you know, we've heard and talked a lot about all of the, the travel uh, fiascos that's been happening throughout the country, weather-related, and then with Southwest and bags at the airport. Uh, it just, it's just been a nightmare. Uh, were your guys specifically Keyshawn, uh, you know, victims, you know, of that situation? 
Yeah, I mean, Keyshawn didn't start last night only because, you know, he hadn't uh, had the two days of prep um, just because he wasn't able to get out of St. Louis. And, yeah, I think every every guy on our team that flew somewhere had issues getting back. Uh, so we had to change some things for the, the practice on the 26th. But, you know, I think that went a, across the country. I know San Jose didn't have a player uh, that is, was not able to, to, to travel and get back. So, you know, anybody that had guys that uh, got on a plane for, for that uh, Christmas break or that, that three-day or four-day break, whatever it may be, uh, I'm sure had issues getting back home. Yeah. And, and that note, Kevin, so how do you handle that? Uh, you know, when you're, you know, you got a few days, you know, in between games or whatever, and it is the Christmas, you know, holidays, uh, how did that work for you? Did you just tell the guys, okay, Hey, you've got, you know, what, two, three days off and, and go enjoy yourselves. It, 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 was that your, your mode of operation there? Yeah, we, uh, we always give them, try to give them a couple of days where they can get back if their family lives somewhere else. And, uh, yeah, so the morning after the Southern Miss game, uh, guys were, on the road and uh tried to get back for practice on the 26th and and i guess looking back on it now fortunately uh we only had one guy who couldn't yeah. make it it could have been a lot worse All right san diego state uh on saturday uh one o'clock game we know the aztecs are tough i know you you know uh looking forward to this game uh give us uh your your scout on uh, this year's aztecs yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're San Diego State, which usually when you, you say that, that's kind of enough to to let somebody know what you're talking about. But tough, physical, uh, strong, I mean, uh, just kind of everything that, uh, you know, saying San Diego State embodies. Um, they play really well together. They guard like crazy. Um, they're, they seem to have no personal agendas. Um, they, they share it. They got guys who do dirty work they got guys who score it and as always it's uh it's going to be an incredibly tough game but a great opportunity to to have them here on our home court yeah they're 10 and 3 and uh again like you said they're always big they got length uh very aggressive uh their coach does a fantastic job uh with them so uh obviously it's going to be a, a challenge for you guys but uh how do you see your guys you know bouncing back especially after you know the loss last night yeah i mean it's a, it's really the option we have uh we can you know let it bother us and feel sorry for ourselves or we can pick ourselves up and and go battle one of the best and uh that's what we talked about before film this morning and um and uh that's what we got to get our minds uh, ready for for the next two days is just doing everything we can to get ready to go give ourselves a chance to win a game against San Diego State. You got it. All right, final thing here for you, Kevin. We talked about the Mountain West. Uh, it, it really looks balanced this year. I know you got San Diego State at the top, and then you know you got Boise State. Utah State has played exceptionally well early on. New Mexico has uh, done the exact same thing. Nevada got themselves a win again last night, and Colorado State's there. I mean, when you look at this conference, I look at it like, okay, there are six teams that can probably beat anyone on any given night. Um, in the grand scope of things, you know, that's got to be a good thing for the conference, right? Because again, you know, we, we know that you had multiple teams get to the NCAA tournament. You've helped yourself, uh, big time here with, you know, that, uh, you know, 10 and one mark or 11 and one mark in the, in the, uh, in the non-conference here. So that bodes well for you. But, uh, you know, you're going to be playing some very, very tough teams here, and it seems like a very, very balanced conference. Oh, without a doubt. I think you could 
like you said, you know, on any given night, you're going to have some really good games. Uh, I think there was, there was a handful of really close ones last night to get it started. And, uh, yeah, I think any Mountain West game this year that you tune into has the potential to be a, a, a really tight game uh, that's decided in the last few possessions. All right. Kevin Kruger, the head coach of the uh, Running Rebels. Kev, we appreciate the time, uh, as always. Uh, good luck on Saturday. Uh, go get that W against uh, San Diego State. We know we got a you got a long road ahead here, and the conference season is just starting. You guys are off to a fantastic start, and I know you guys are going to bounce back nicely. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care, brother. All right. There he is, Kevin Kruger, uh, UNLV. And again, uh, San Diego State comes into town. Uh, that is a game that fans love to see those two programs square off against each other. And a lot of times we get those two teams in the Mountain West Conference, you know, tournament as well, too. Um, the game's at one o'clock on Saturday. I kind of feel bad because, you know, this is the marquee game of the entire schedule for UNLV. And you have a rivalry. Two teams really don't care for each other. And even when UNLV has been down in years past, these two teams have played some very, very close games. These games are never blowouts. But it is a Saturday afternoon. It is on New Year's Eve day. And they're going up against the college football playoff. And you have TCU and Michigan playing at the exact same time. Now you got the Raiders game, but that is the next day. But it'll be interesting to see what the attendance is going to be like at the Thomas and Mack Center. And this, we know that there's competition now for the sports dollar with the Golden Knights, with the Raiders, with everything else that, that, that's going on here. And, um, you know, I would love to see this game be a standalone weeknight game. You know, I'd love to see that because. Well, we've seen Saturday afternoon games at UNLV before the Thomas and Mack Center, and they haven't drawn well. Heck, we saw the UNLV-Washington State game that was at the MGM Grand, and the attendance was just very, very bad. It uh, So I'm fearful that you're not going to have a big crowd tomorrow. And when you look at some of these crowds throughout the conference, you look at last night's game when Nevada played Boise State. All right, they had close to 8,000 fans at, at, at Lawler, which is pretty much capacity for them. San Diego State played Air Force last night. Air Force, who is dreadful, bottom of the barrel at the Mountain West Conference each and every year. And they had 12,000 fans. So you would love to see UNLV be able to to get twelve or 13,000 fans, but the program just is not there yet. And um, the schedule makers don't do UNLV any favors by putting their marquee game at one o'clock on a Saturday afternoon on New Year's Eve day. And let's be honest. I mean, if you are a local here in town, you're staying away from the strip on New Year's Eve. No question. You're not going down. And I understand this is at one o'clock in the afternoon, but there are people that just don't like to approach the area even though it's Maryland Parkway, but it's relatively close. But yeah, you do have to cross it if you live on the west side. But it's just not an ideal time for um, you know this game. And UNLV does get displaced, you know, for the you know the ten days of the rodeo that happens in the early part of December. Uh, we know that. But uh, you know, if you are winning, then those things kind of excuse themselves. 
And then you, you draw accordingly. Now, if we go back in the day, you know, way back in the day with the Tark teams and, you know, even, you know, the Dave Rice teams, the Long Kruger teams, those teams would, would draw better than what we've seen here over the last five, six years. But it's Las Vegas is, is different now. More properties, more shows, <laughs> more, more sports teams, more professional sports teams. And basically, again, you know, you, you are dealing with Raiders. You're dealing with, uh, Golden Knights, uh, a lot of times going head to head, you know, with these games. And, uh, so we encourage everyone to get out there and support UNLV. Um, but I mean, if you had a choice tomorrow, I mean, or Saturday, I should say, you get to stay home and watch college football, the semifinal games, uh, winners going to the championship game. I got to believe a lot of people are. And if you are a diehard UNLV fan and maybe you're just a casual college football fan, I guarantee you there are fans. I've seen it before. They will go to the UNLV game and they'll be watching the football game on their phone. <laughs> They're going to be in, and it's the exact same time. And there is tons of intrigue. I mean, the television ratings will be off the chart for both of those games, both TCU and Michigan and Ohio State and Georgia. And, and I guess, you know, the good thing is maybe that it's the UNLV game is not going directly at the same time as the Ohio State Georgia game because that will be the more highly anticipated game and, and we'll have more viewers. But that's why that game, they push it into prime time, you know, at, at five o'clock Pacific time. So anyway, appreciate Kevin Kruger for joining us. Uh, not always easy, you know, coming off of a loss and the Rebels now have lost two of the last three games. And again, heartbreaking fashion. The two games that UNLV has lost to USF and to San Jose State are games that they should have won. The USF game, they led for the entire contest until the final six seconds of the game. That was it. So that was a heartbreaking loss. Last night, people are going to say, hey, San Jose State, how can you lose San Jose State? That's just a bad loss. Well, like Kevin said, it's conference play. And going into the game last night, I was saying to myself, you know, UNLV's going to have, have a tough time with this. They're going to be favored, you know, minimally favored, which they were, but San Jose State was ready to play because every team, even if you stink during the non-conference, you know, they think they have a chance come conference time. And like I mentioned, you know, San Jose State came in here with a winning record, you know? So they're playing some pretty good uh, basketball. Tim Miles will elevate that program uh, much more so than where it's been in the past. So San Jose State is not at the doldrums like it used to be. It's not Air Force. Before, it was Air Force and San Jose State, and you could just you know count on those guys getting drilled. Now, San Jose State will get drilled during the course of the season. Heck, they played Arkansas, and they got drilled. But they did beat Santa Clara, like I mentioned. And Santa Clara is a team that is a team on the rise, you know, in the WCC. All right, UNLV, again, losers last night, 75-272. So good luck, and uh, we'll talk about that on Monday um, as well to see how, how the Rebels come back and they do with their game against uh, the Aztecs. All right, continuing on here. Uh, this hour, uh, Scott Spritzer is going to join us, uh, and we'll talk to Scott regarding uh, NFL 
week number 17. A lot of intriguing matchups with that. And, of course, the college football playoffs. So we'll start breaking that down from a handicapping perspective. So hang tight with that. And then also we've got uh, plenty of bowl games to discuss uh, here uh, as well. But uh, on a very sad note here today, we got the news that uh, soccer legend uh, Pele uh, died earlier today. He was 82 years old, and he's been battling colon cancer for a very, very long time. And uh, for those of you that may not be old enough to, you know, recall Pele's career, what he meant uh, to soccer. And again, this was the time, you know, when he played, when soccer was in its infancy uh, here in the United States. And no one probably watched Pele play live um, because, you know, when he was at, you know, his height in the zenith, you know, during the seventies and, and even the, the early to, to, to mid eighties, uh, he was what Lionel Messi is right now. What Ronaldo is now, um, you know, what Maradona was 10 years ago. Uh, Pele was probably the greatest soccer player that has ever lived, uh, led Brazil to three world cups, uh, not easy to lead your nation to one World Cup title, but to do that three times, an amazing feat. Pele was a guy that was um, iconic worldwide. When he would come to the United States, people just stopped. They watched. They took pictures. They took aut- uh, got autographs from him. And uh, so very, very sad news today to hear that uh, Pele dies at the age of 82. So, uh, you know, the soccer world, the entire soccer world, uh, mourns him, uh, today. And, uh, but he did leave, live a very long, uh, life, a very productive life. And you never really had any controversy with Pele, like so many of these superstars in all sports. And we've seen it in the sport of soccer as well, too. But, uh, yeah. So when you recall Pele and think of him, uh, he will always be thought of. In a good light, Pele dies at the age of 82. Soccer legend, one of the best of all time. I got something for you. Here's the man, the myth. The article has spoken. The mouth. You hear me talking? T.C. Martin. All right, starting next week, we have got tickets to give away to George Clinton. Parliament. Funkadelic. Brides of Funkenstein. All the above. Who knows who's coming? Yes, January 14th at the Westgate Las Vegas in the International Theater. Yes, George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic, his farewell tour. Another farewell tour. You got to love that, Nemchuk. All right. And I know our next guest. He's going he's gonna to want to participate. He's not going to hesitate because he's a funk guy. He's a Funkadelic guy. He's a George Clinton guy, the one and only Scott Spritzer. What is up, homie? Man, George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars are part of the Funkadelic. They gave birth to so many potential bands that came out of the last 40 years. Uh, that's a bummer to hear. I saw him at Lollapalooza uh, back in 94, the only time I think Lollapalooza came to Las Vegas, D.C. And uh, we were down front. It was them. It was the Beastie Boys. It was Smashy Pumpkins. <laughs> but the Beasties and, of course, uh, 
George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars put on, both put on great shows. But I'm hoping this is one of about four or five farewell tours that he's going to throw. So. Right. Well, it's fu- <laughs> you know what's funny about this, guy? So, like, going back, it was too, well, it was pre-pandemic. I guess it was... Yeah, 2019, I promoted George as as the farewell tour when I had him in Sacramento at our venue there, and then it's like, okay, he's he's doing it again. So you're right, this there could be three or four more. Who knows what? But uh, uh, very excited uh, that he's coming to the Westgate, and uh, again, we'll be giving away tickets. And uh, uh, we, we 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 could put you there, Scott. We could put you there. Put it on the calendar, January the 14th, brother. I'm there. What night of the week is that? Not that it matters, but I'm there. That's uh, probably like a Saturday. I'm sure it's a Saturday. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, you might, you yeah. Might, you I, might. Give me till tomorrow. I got one show that I'm going to be taking off on that Saturday <laughs> night. And I just got to let them know ahead of time. Because... I was just going to say, Scott's going to be calling in sick on his other gig, but uh, yeah. you, you're excused. <laughs> exactly. I can yeah. feel it coming on already, TC. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you may be coughing like that because you may be inhaling something else at the concert there. I'm just saying. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know either. I don't, I don't know either that's it well, the only thing we could ask for that would make it just a tiny bit better is if bootsy collins was playing bass oh, in the show but i doubt that's gonna happen uh, yeah you know <laughs> i know right but you never know with george i mean true. a reunion could be a true reunion you never know yep all right so uh all right my friend um glad uh you join us hopefully all is well with you and uh you had a great christmas and you're gonna have a uh just as a joyous new year oh yeah it was a great christmas holiday got the kid back uh, from college back, uh, it's been about eight days now that she's been back. She's back until around January 20th. So, and I'm sure you've seen the, the photos just as you do. I don't think I've kept up with as many as you, but it's my New Year's resolution is to <laughs> post photos every time we go out to eat. Yeah. But uh, we've had some interesting meals, some great meals. And, you know, my wife, my daughter, and I, we are all big-time foodies. Uh, so we're eating all over Las Vegas. And I got to tell you, it was the week before Christmas, I haven't been there in a long time, TC. I don't know why I waited so long, but went down to uh, one of the Machoacons, Benito Machoacon on Decatur and Twain. Yep. And you know what I started with? You know what I started with? A Bondigas soup, oh. man. <laughs> so, you know, what's fu- it's funny. The reason why I was a little hesitant with that, because a lot of the Lindo Michicans do not serve it. So if you go to the one uh, in Henderson, they just have the Fideo. They don't actually have the uh, uh, the albondigas. And albondigas, as you know, is one of my all-time favorite soups, the Mexican, the traditional Mexican meatball vegetable soup. Uh, so I'm glad to hear that that location actually has it. But you know, Michoacan, and they've got, I mean, you can get the cup, you can get the medium bowl, or you can go all in mm. and get one that feeds about eight people before yes. you eat your meal. So, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, I mean, it was good. I mean, we haven't been there in a long, long time. And I don't know why we haven't gotten a long, long time, but we ended up there a little over a week ago and my wife's first time there and she absolutely is addicted now. And see, Scott will go ahead and serve the international food scene much better than me. I mean, most of Scott's are from the international flavor. I got to give you that, my friend. We're in Chinatown almost every day of the week, it feels like. I mean, I can't, you know, 25 years ago, I actually lived in a condo not too far from where the main Chinatown area is and all that. There was no Chinatown. And if there was, I would have never left that area. Uh, but we're down there all the time. It's funny because my daughter, you know, she's a freshman in college and she's up in Reno and, you know, which is in college. And she said, my gosh, dad, there's nothing good up here. I spent almost my entire life in Chinatown. I'm so spoiled, you know, so we're there all the time. And we try all the different restaurants of all varieties, 
Korean, Japanese, Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, you name it, were there. <laughs> and not only is uh, Scott the international lawyer, but uh, like he mentioned, I mean, he's like me. He goes, he loves the soup. No soup for you. What are you talking about no soup for us? <laughs> you got to have soup for us. What are you talking no about? No soup for you. Ah, jeez. <laughs> I don't know. Favorite all-time soup, Scott. Go. No soup for you. Oh, boy. I've got so many. Jeez. Okay, top five. Go. Well, top five is Albanigas is in there. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say... Uh, the the homemade chicken noodle soup with the big chunks of chicken, mm. the thick fat uh, mm. noodles. Okay. you know, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna say also, uh, boy, I gotta throw into the mix a, a little bit of um, ramen, and I'm not talking what you buy out of the store for you know <laughs> right. 100 packages for 28 cents when you are in college. I'm talking about going to one of these you know ramen places, especially one off of Flamingo and Fort Apache. That's outstanding, and uh, we go there quite a bit. So I'm gonna probably put that number one because man it's just full of goodness eggs if you want extras they throw it in there the noodles pork real thin sliced pork and it's just it's so thick you can eat it with a fork as the old ad used to say (laughs) at this particular joint oh and also i almost forgot top five vietnamese beef ball special soup absolutely with spice yeah with the spice there is now you know people are always uh, ragged on me and say, Hey, how come you're not 300 pounds? How come you're not 300 pounds? I mean, you eat just well, as I, good as I, me. I, decide, I decided to stop at about 225 <laughs> and I should be about 195. So, you know, it's not easy. I'm, I could easily lose 25, not easily, but I sure could use losing about 20, 25 pounds. It's tough to do with this family. I mean, my gosh. Now what happens to me, TC, I don't know if this happens to you too, but I go out with my daughter, especially, but also sometimes with my wife, We'll go out and they'll order way too much, and then they'll say after three bites, gosh, I'm just full. That's my daughter. I'm just full after like three or four bites. I hear you. And I'm like, I don't want to take this home because it'll sit in the fridge for five days. I don't want to waste it. I I hate wasting food. Then I'll sit there and eat for three. (laughs) It's like I'm sitting there going, thanks, guys. You're both so nice and thin and skinny, and I'm over here, you know, doing my best not to get rolled back into the ocean when I'm on the beach, you know, so it, it's not too easy, brother. <laughs> the human garbage disposal, Scott Spritzer, ladies and gentlemen. There, there, there it is. Not going to let that go to waste. No, no, no. There you go. Uh, That's right. Too funny. All right, man. Let's, uh, let's start with the college football playoff. Uh, where is your excitement level on this? I like it. I do. I, I yep. still think that you know, Alabama should have been in there. I, I think you agree with me if we talked about this off air a couple of weeks ago, but I, I still think that uh, Alabama should have been in instead of TCU. Um, I, I don't have any problem with the Buckeyes being in there. Remember, you know, before the Buckeyes played Michigan, any power rating that was worth its salt or whatever you want to call it uh, had Ohio State and Georgia basically even, dead even on a neutral field, maybe yep. Georgia a one-point favorite. And you could say going into the third quarter of the Michigan game, it was still there because Ohio State led by three in that game. And then, of course, they had the horrible final quarter and a half or whatever it was, and, and they lose the game. So I've got no problem with the Buckeyes being in the top four, but I do believe that Alabama should be in and TCU should not. And if you look at power ratings and you do that kind of stuff, Alabama's a good five to six points better than TCU, again, in any worthwhile power ratings. And I'm not trying to say if somebody has TCU rated against, rated over Alabama. Okay, I'm good with that. I'm just saying just raw power ratings on a neutral field. Bama's about six points better than TCU. So I think they got three out of four right. I just think Bama should have been there even with a couple of losses. 
But again, the way things go, man, it was right in front of them to, to get the job done, and they didn't take care of business, and TCU kind of did. Yeah, kind of, exactly. No, kind and, of. And, and, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, again, I went on like a two-week uh, thing about this, and no, you and I are definitely on the same page, and we look at it exactly the same way. And, you know, there's two losses. It's garbage. I mean, when you lose on the last play of the game to two teams that were ranked in the top seven, LSU yep. and Tennessee at the time, and you lose in the final play of the game on the road, no. that Those are excusable losses. The Ohio State loss, I'm with you. I'd rather see them in than TCU, but they got drilled by 22 uh, in the toughest game that they faced on the year on their home field. So, you know, they get they get a big check mark against them, but yeah, TCU was life and death in so many games and not upper echelon competition in the Big Twelve. And you know they lost to K State in the Big Twelve championship game. So no, can you imagine what we would be talking about right now, Scott? We would be looking at a Alabama Michigan semifinal game, so much more appealing than a TCU Michigan game. No, I agree, and and I get why people will say, you know, Ohio State, because of the big game, they end up losing the way they – I mean, they were leading, you know, going into the second half. They had a couple of really bad plays that really turned around that game, but I get it. But the reason I have Ohio State in the mix is because, again, and I'm with the you. Michigan I agree. game, you know, I agree. they were dead even with Georgia right. as far as power rating. So if yep. you're into power rating, agree. you're going to have – yeah. And as far as Bama and TCU, I mean, again, it's like it, – it's just – I look at, you know, I was doing my Saturday night show with the first time TCU played Kansas State this year. Kansas State's up 28 to 10. They're clobbering TCU. They, both their quarterbacks, top two quarterbacks, went down to injury. Uh, their second quarterback came back in Kansas State later in the game, but by then, the momentum had completely changed sidelines, and TCU was able to win that game. But they were down 28 to 10 to K-State the first time around, and so it's really no fluke that they lost to K-State the second time that they ended up playing the Wildcats, as far as I'm concerned, and again, I have TCU. I don't want to get crazy. I could see interchanging TCU and maybe Penn State for the five and six spots, but I certainly have them at least five and a half to six points out of the top four with Alabama being the team that would be in fourth, as far as the ratings are concerned, and, and here's the thing. If you look at just power ratings, you would have Georgia versus Alabama, and Ohio State versus Michigan. But, of course, the bowl committee doesn't want right. the rematch between the Buckeyes and Wolverines in the semifinals. If it does take place, they want it in the championship game. So, you know, they don't really go on, on power ratings or where teams should be rated. There's all this little bit of, you know, stuff here and there that they throw into the mix to try to make it more interesting. I'm all about, man, put your four best teams on the field and let them go at it. Yep. And it should be in this semifinals. It should be Georgia versus Alabama and Ohio State versus Michigan, unless you're doing the old, you know, um, makeup cover up because you didn't want Ohio State and Michigan facing each other so soon in a semifinal game. Mm-hmm. All right. So Michigan is an eight point choice over TCU. Is, is this one of these games where you feel that, okay, uh, that this number is right or maybe a, a little bit light considering what we've seen from TCU during the bulk of the season and what we've seen from Michigan? Yeah, I mean, I, I lean towards Michigan here. I think they're going to be able to run the football too much on on TCU for the Horn Frogs to be able to hang around and stay in this game. I think they'll wear them thin. Um, the power ratings that I use have Michigan 8.5 points better than TCU on a neutral field. Uh, they've got Michigan third behind Georgia and Ohio State. So if you go on that, and my power ratings, personal power ratings, I actually make Bama, excuse me, Michigan 9.5 points better than TCU. So I've got. Uh, Michigan rated about half a point higher than a really good power rating set that I respect. And I've got TCU about half a point lower than they do, and it comes out uh, to nine and a half for me. 
But again, I mean, I know, you know, you got Blake Corum who's not going to play in this game, but Donovan Edwards could pick him up and put him down. You know, you're talking about a guy who ran for over seven yards per carry when they did hand him the football. And, you know, TCU's got a good quarterback, Max Dugan. There's no doubt about it. Uh, But I just don't think they're going to be able to stand up to Michigan in the trenches. And I think eventually Michigan will be able to pull away and win this game by a couple of touchdowns. And, you know, other than Ohio State and Clemson, I mean, underdogs have not done well in the semifinals since we've had this format, except for the Buckeyes and when Clemson's in the mix. Yeah, no, you're you're right about that. We saw that again, you know, uh, in last year's semifinal. When you look at the, you know, these games are bowl games, and when we had talked about this with Steve Berline in the last hour, very interesting that the Fiesta Bowl committee is very upset with uh, Jim Harbaugh because Harbaugh isn't having his teams participate in a lot of these functions and you know for the fiesta bowl it's like okay they're you know this they're used to you know having business and pleasure but pleasure being number one and harbaugh's not having any pleasure he's saying we're here for a national championship so this is a business trip for us strictly how do you feel about that approach and I can understand it because, again, this is not your, you know, garden variety bowl game. It's not like the traditional Fiesta Bowl or it's not like the, you know, Bahamas Bowl or the, you know, uh, Bad Boy Mowers Bowl or whatever. This is a <laughs> national semifinal. And, uh, I really can't blame Harbaugh for saying, you know, we're shutting down all this other, you know, pomp and circumstance. I get it, but I don't like it. I know. You know I'm, with I mean, you. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Because both teams are, you know, supposed to be participating. It's not like his team would have to make more appearances and do more non football stuff than his opponent, you know. So I don't like it. You know, it, it kind of reminded, I don't know why this popped into my head, TC, uh, when I saw that stuff, but I remember when the, was it the Eagles and the Raiders around 1980, 81 in the Super Bowl, that Dick Vermeil was coaching the Eagles. And Dick Vermeil decided, you know, we're not going to do anything. In your beds by 8 p.m., blah, 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 blah. You know, he's a real stickler. And what did they go out? They go out and they look like they were flat the entire game. He didn't allow them to enjoy themselves. Then you look at the other sideline and you're talking about a team that was out partying until like, you know, an hour before kickoff and goes out and whacks them. And so I, I, I as a coach, I, there's got to be a fine line between we got to stick to what got us here. Oh boy, we got to be serious. We got to take every practice, every snap at practice as though we're playing for a national title. And hey guys, go out and relax, man. Have some fun. You brought it all year long. You brought it in our biggest game when we whipped the Buckeyes over the final quarter and a half of that game in the shoe. Go out and enjoy because I know you're going to bring it when the time comes. And I kind of like that attitude a little bit better than get in your beds by 8 p.m. Right. and you know, we're checking beds by 8 30. And I, I don't know, man. That just bothers me a little bit in the handy, even in the handicap of this game, that they're so serious. Get out and let them enjoy. Show them that you trust this team to be ready to go when they kick the ball off on uh, Saturday. So I do, I get it, but I don't like it. Yeah, you know, and for all those reasons you just said, I really want to root for TCU, and I want to, and I kind of want to play them, but I don't know if that's the smart play because, you know, Michigan's defense is stellar, and I think this the TCU run, the, the Cinderella run, is probably coming to an end, and I don't know if eight is enough points. So I'm kind of stuck on that. But then you look at the other game, Scott, with Ohio State and Georgia. Ohio State, if you you know are paying attention to any of the press conferences and everything that's going on there leading up to this game, they're downright angry. They're right. downright embarrassed. They're angry. Remember, this is a team that has never been an underdog all season long. I think they're only an underdog maybe maybe one time last year, if at all. They're not used to that. And, you know, this Georgia team, as we know, it's always tough to kind of go back to back, you know, as much as I like Georgia, but 
again, you've got to remember that guys like Stenson Bennett and even Max Duggan, these guys were like third-string quarterbacks at the beginning of the season, and they've, they've worked their way up. And Ohio State is pretty talented. Would it surprise you at all if the Buckeyes pull off the upset or worst case scenario, you know, you know, you know, cover this this touchdown number? Wouldn't surprise me at all. And I'll start real quickly with that remark that I made earlier that before the Michigan game, Ohio State was dead even with Georgia on the best power ratings on a on a neutral field. And now they're getting almost a full touchdown, an extra point. All those tickets on Georgia TC, I'm looking at about twenty shops. Several of these shops have taken eighty percent or more of their tickets on the Georgia Bulldogs, yet the number has not gone up to seven again. It's sitting six and a half. That's right. Yeah. And pretty solid. You don't have to lay juice with it, yet that's all they're getting are tickets on the favorite, but they're not moving it up. So anyway, it could change, obviously, by 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on, uh, or excuse me, by 8 p.m. Eastern on uh, Saturday. Listen, they got to reprieve the Buckeyes. They got that second chance after everything fell into place after the loss to the Wolverines. But again, I can't get over the power rating difference based on just that loss, the final half against Michigan. Uh, again, I, I don't think that anybody in this game should be seven, point, seven points better as a favorite over the other. And when I look at this, I'm thinking, you know, C.J. Stroud, 37 touchdowns, six interceptions, excellent skill position players, a go-to tight end. He's almost been brushed aside by the media since the loss to Michigan. Georgia's pass defense is outside the top 50 this year. They're beatable. They're not quite as strong as it was a year ago. I would have Georgia, this last year's Georgia team, probably four and a half points better than this year's Georgia team. And a lot of it has to do with that secondary. So I think Stroud could have a good game. His receiver, Harrison, he's going to be extremely tough for this defensive secondary to cover, play in, play out when Stroud decides to throw the football downfield. And again, I mean, for me, it's about numbers over teams. And I can't get over that the power rating was adjusted that much or this line because of a quarter and a half against Michigan, another very good football team. So, man, I'm kind of, sounds like you're leaning towards the Buckeyes and so am I. I would say if folks have decided that they're going to play the Buckeyes, maybe lean that way over Georgia, there's nothing wrong with waiting around and seeing if you can grab seven with all those tickets coming in on Georgia. Maybe eventually it gets there. But, you know, be careful because you're going to have to be on top of it. I think it's going to be one of those things where when it does get to seven, you'll see respected money coming right back on Ohio State. But, again, there's nothing wrong with waiting to see if you're going to get to seven if you like the underdog here. Yeah, and, you know, honestly, I'm I'm not – uh, haven't made a play on the game yet, and I'm not even sure which way I'm going to go. And I've kind of wavered a little bit early on. I was thinking Georgia, and again, you know, when you a lot of times we remember the last thing that we saw, and but sometimes Scott and I think you kind of handicapped this way too. I'm a big bounce back type of guy, and especially when you've had you know over 30 days to kind of get that bad taste out of your mouth, and right, and we got to remember about it. exactly, and we got to and you know what I've seen from Ohio State, we know that they're a fantastic. You know, football team. There's, there's no question about it. And I think the mistakes that they made on like those four or five plays against Michigan, those were fixable. And we've talked to a lot of our, 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 our guests, you know, who, you know, do this, you know, uh, uh, you know, for a living, like Trevor Maddich, a guy that's like, Hey, wait, look at the X's and O's and you talk to these coaches and these players. It's like, you know, they, they made some mistakes, but these are fixable mistakes. And it's just hard to maybe go against a team like Ohio State, even though 
I probably personally, you know, may root for Georgia in this situation, but I think there is some value with the Buckeyes. And again, haven't made up my mind yet, but, uh, I am probably, you know, as we are talking here, maybe talking myself into some scarlet <laughs> and gray. You know? I do see, by the way, I see one, I've got, like I said, about 20, 25 books in front of me on my line service, and they're all real time lines, uh, that I, that I get in. So I'm looking at, a, I see a seven offshore at one offshore joint. I see a seven at one local joint. You know, that's it. Those are the only two sevens I see out of 20 or 25. But if you're living here in Las Vegas, you can find a seven on the Vegas Strip right now. And uh, at least according to my line service. Yeah, we just talked to Jake Hornigay, and he said they, they've stayed steady at six and a half, despite what you just said. You know, a lot of the tickets, majority of the tickets, uh, you know, on Georgia. Scott Spritzer uh, joins us, Doc Sports. All right, Scott, give me another bull game or two that uh, has you salivating a little bit. I'll tell you one. Let me see. Let me look at a couple here. Uh, one that I'm looking at, I'll just talk about it tomorrow's game. It's at 11 a.m. Pacific time, which is UCLA laying the points to Pitt. It has gone over seven. It's up to seven and a half, and in some places, all the way up to eight. Uh, played this one a little while ago. I mean, Pitt's got half a dozen starters on defense, couple of offensive linemen, key offensive personnel, including their quarterback and their top running back, who are all going to be missing this football game. And in fact, all four of Pitt's captains are out of this game. And according to reports that I've been following, it'll be virtually all hands on deck for the Bruins, including their quarterback, DTR, who's taken all the snaps in practice for the most part. Uh, they might be down a running back for this game, UCLA, but DTR also expects to have his favorite receiver available for this contest also. And I still think, I mean, it's not a big play, but I still think, even though it's gone over seven, that UCLA is the way to go. I mean, just Pitt's just missing too many key players included in the trenches, and you're missing half a dozen starters on your defense, and you're going up against a, a Chip Kelly offense with talent that's bringing just about everybody that's available to play, and they're going to have a month or almost a month to get ready for a defense that's missing six starters. I think UCLA ends up winning the game you now 10, 14 point victory. No, and uh, I agree with you. And there was question marks whether um, you know Robbins, their DTR was going to play in this game or not. Uh, and, and as well as, um, um, Charbonnet, they're, they're running back. Right. So, uh, yeah, Charbonnet might not play. Yeah, that's what it sounds um, like. That's how I, I don't know about you, Scott, but I really like, uh, you know, Washington tonight against Texas for the, a lot of the same reasons you just said. I mean, Texas, Bijan Robinson, probably the best running back in college football, isn't going to play. Texas is missing their best defensive player as well, too. Washington's won six in a row. And I know that I gave that out as one of my best bets on the show for Friday, last Friday. Uh, give me some thoughts. You agree with me that Washington could be a live dog here and maybe, uh, win the game outright? Yeah, I held off. Um, I, I'm not going to play the game, but for me, it would be Washington or nothing. Uh, you know, you look at what you just said, you know, some of the players that are going to be missing for Texas. And I'm not sure if you mentioned that, uh, You've got uh, DeMarvion Overshone, who's going to be missing this also. Yep. Opted out, the linebacker. Yeah, as I said, their uh, best so defensive a, player is out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, He's. Yeah. I mean, they've got, like, you know, out of their four top defenders, two of them are likely going to be out of this game, including Overshone, who's their best. Uh, so it, it is a situation where it's really tough to gauge how Texas is going to be able to stop Washington. I mean, listen, this is like no opt-out. This is like team we want to play yes. when you talk about the Washington Huskies. Yep. they got a couple opt-outs, but it's no big deal. Michael Penix at quarterback, this guy is already you know, being talked about as one of our Heisman contenders going into next season. He's the college football's leading passer this year. So it's a lean on Washington for me. Uh, the, I guess one of the main reasons I didn't jump on it and I'm going to be rooting for you, is 
I don't know a single person who's on Texas tonight, TC. Right. That scares the crap out of me, but, <laughs> but it would be Washington or nothing for me. All right, quickly on the NFL side, Scott, uh, give us a game or two that you're looking at. All right, uh, you know what? I think Baltimore is in a good spot this week on Sunday night football, and I know they're you know, going to be taking on a, a team that they usually play a really close game against. But the bottom line for me is that you have the Steelers off the hugely emotional game last week. They've won four of five. The lone loss came against these Ravens. The four wins came against Vegas, Carolina, Atlanta, and Indy. Those teams have a combined record of 21-38-1 straight up. And I think that the Ravens' defense will be able to slow down Pittsburgh's shaky offense. Listen, I had Pittsburgh last week, but let's be honest, I got lucky. They won because of a mistake-prone, poorly coached, poorly quarterback team. That's why Pittsburgh won last week. And their former quarterback, Derek Carr, had a guy wide open down the middle of the field to try to win the game late, and he overthrows him by 10 feet. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's a situation where we got a little bit lucky. I don't think they get lucky this week. I think the Ravens get the season sweep. All right. Scott Spritzer, Doc Sports. Go to DocSports.com. Subscribe to uh, Scott's Picks. And, of course, you can uh, catch some of Scott's Picks with us, of course, on our Best Bet segment each and every Friday and up on the website at TCMartinShow.com. All right, my friend, uh, any any musical New Year's plans at all? Or you know, we, People are always asking me, I say, hey, you know, for us locals, we just stay put, man. We stay put on New Year's Eve. Are, are you subscribing to that thing? We get done eating at our favorite restaurant about 9 p.m. And guess where it's located? Chinatown. Chinatown, yeah. <laughs> so we're not on the Vegas Strip. It's called Raku, R-A-K-U. It's, it's in a little uh, center that's west of Decatur by about two blocks or so. And we there, we usually get done about 9 p.m. and we head home on New Year's Eve. I haven't been out on New Year's Eve in about 18 to 20 years. Right. And it was hectic as hell. Amateur night, right, man? By it's amateur night. Absolutely. I'd like being home at 930 with the full belly. <laughs> All right. And then we got some uh, some great stuff to watch, uh, you know, on Saturday, especially with the college football playoff. All right, my man. I appreciate you as well. Thank you very much. And uh, we we'll look forward to seeing you soon and talking with you next week. And your New Year's resolution, okay, is not only is more pictures, okay, but it's it's more dining with you and I together. That needs, to, that needs to go to the forefront, myself, you know? You've got it, man. I'm there. Absolutely. All right, brother. We've got to have some barbecue. I, I still want to go uh, to your barbecue joint as well, too. That's a must. I'm, I'm there. I'll okay. do it. Okay, brother. Take care. All right. See you. Uh, Scott Sprite, sir. All right. Uh, I want to thank Scott for joining us today. Jay Cornegay, the vice president of sportsbook operations at the Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas, Steve Berline, and Kevin Kruger joined us today. All of those interviews, everything up on the website at tcmartinshow.com and uh, for the podcast wherever you go get your podcast, go get it. Find TC Martin Show. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever. They're, they're all out there. Go check it out there. Alright, for Numbchuck, TC saying so long. Tomorrow, we're at the Westgate. Best bet segment. Looking forward to that. Meaningful college football games. Previewing more in depth the college semifinals and, of course, NFL Week 17. Jay Schrader, Marco D'Angelo in the house. Captain Jack Rackham, Raiders superfans coming in. He wants to come on the show tomorrow, so we'll see him there and everybody else at the Westgate Las Vegas. Have yourself a good one. We'll catch you tomorrow at 2.